No, I fucking love it too. Like, I love being really overwhelmed. I love being surprised and shocked because it's, I'm already having an overwhelming, shocking, surprising experience of the world anyway. I've got this recording now just so that we're like all... Well, just I just in case it's uh uh just so you, that you're uh aware. I know because ha ha because you like to trick me with the old recording trick, huh? <laughs> like, um, yeah, it's like so actually I had a really interesting, really interesting conversation with my friend um who was staying uh, with my mum uh, here and uh, who I you know like I've been on a workshop with and uh, a bunch of other things and we were just talking about. I really resent this term access, like not like anyone who tries to do it, but just the the term itself. Because the thing is, um, I don't need access to the institution because I've been asked to come into it based on the quality of my art. So I've already gained access. Like I have the I have access. Like what I don't have in the situation is autonomy. Like you know to to then move you know to move around in a way like this. And the way I would I would frame it, it's sort of like if a big institution puts in a ramp for a wheelchair user and one elevator but then um then what happens if that fucking if that elevator place means that that person has to go 15 minutes in one direction to get to the elevator before going 15 minutes back then it takes them an extra half an hour to do everything that they're doing and then if you then say to this person all the time well you're late and it's like we've got all this access put in place for you we've especially we built an elevator for you you feel really guilty because that's like oh my god they've built a fucking they've never built an elevator for anyone before but they built it for me but it's still not ensuring it's, it's like access but it's not autonomy within that and then we were talking about this because they were also saying some my friend was being really nice and supportive but they still weren't quite uh uh getting it because until i explained it in this way because there's also there's of course there's like tokenistic things in this stuff but uh tokenistic forms of support but the, in what there really is is you get this thing right where you're a talented artist who is asked to come into an institution and you're then told, though, that fundamentally that the institution is not going to be able to meet your needs. So can you create an access document, basically, so that then people can think about how to acquire access? So which means you've got to then think about yourself in a disabled way. You've got to then think about yourself through this sort of metric and all these things. Whereas before, you know, I was doing things that was based on my ability, not disability. So it's then okay. So and so, based on your ability, can you now go into your your disability, like, and then which is a very a, a particularly confusing one. It has to be said, and that there's not a lot of work about there. So then, what happens is that you then have to be like, okay, right. Well, now I'm gonna say this is how I'm a disabled subject and all these things, how I have all these problems, and then you pass that over to the institution or whatever it is, who will then do their best to fulfill that but obviously because we live in an ableist society they will not be able to do that completely and you have to accept that with good grace and so then the fourth step is you're spat out at the other end you're now a disabled artist not having their needs met within an institution that you don't have to be grateful for for what they've done for you <laughs> yeah and it's just like you've gone from so which is this complete like thing from just being completely outside all of this to then going through these one, two, three, four steps. And then the thing is, that's also within that, that reshapes your whole identity. It reshapes your whole practice. It reshapes who you are. You know, it can take, it can take months or years to sort of like come around from that. Uh, uh, even if you do. And that is, that's, that's just sort of like, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And that 
that is a fourfold process, but the vast majority of people like to think in a binary dualistic process mm-hmm. between providing support and not providing support and being it's good if you provide support and bad not to provide support. It's good to provide access, bad not to provide access. And the reality is, is that with the level of responsibilities that everyone has within the structure and the, the system with all the emails and all of these things, lots of people are not having their needs met and aren't able to meet the needs and uh and 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 you know that's just that's just kind of part of and people don't have time for fourfold processes they need to they, they need to think it's not about a tick box exercise but they do have boxes they need to tick basically and that's just kind of it yeah well it's i guess what it's what's like an interesting contradiction there is like access is provided to be able to work and work it like you know like inside the paradigm right yeah um but work is fundamentally um, exploitative, so it's like trying to to like 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 position like this equal possibility of being exploited in a situation, and it's complicated in artistic labor, right? Because like if depending on who's getting funding and who's working for who and what the relationship with the institution is, like a lot of the time, like we could also be the entrepreneur and then we also employ people to do set and stuff like that. So it's not a simple 19th century, like, like factory owner, factory worker, like, uh, like uh, relation. But like in general, if access is provided to a person with a disability uh, so that they can work in a situation, uh, like this is access that is provided to facilitate exploitation so there's there's, like this is like even like considering like the 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 more complex uh situation that you just laid out um like like the good end result of that is like equal equal opportunity to be exploited exploited (laughs) yeah and that's i think that's to do with it with being alienated from from a labor and it's also i think that it's like I think the main way that works within the within the realm of funded art, because obviously it's like it's completely it's not the quite the same. But the main way that that sort of like feeds in is I know I heard about the concept fast art recently, which is like which I like to think of as being fast car. But no, fast art isn't like fast food or like fast fashion or something like that as well, which is fundamentally like if you uh, take on funding to any form of funding to deliver artwork you are taking on the responsibility to deliver public engagement. And you can do that. And it's, it's the, the discussion is that it's like, oh, it's about art. It's for making art and doing all these things and all this stuff kind of thing. But if you're like fundamentally a really bourgeois artist whose family owns the means of production and stuff like that, you can just like fanny about in a studio and create these things that just like completely defy contemporary nodes of like consciousness or alternately are completely crap either or your family is like then you get to get hooked up with a curator who can come in then and then like look at these things and then be like oh well this can be sold for like 1.5 million so whereas it's like right you are here serving the people giving them life and you get to have the slightly nicer set of beans baby go for it (laughs) and you know what that sucks, but that is not a problem of the individual. One could say that that is a system failure, which yes. brings us to <laughs> to our to our topic uh, for this week. But before we get on to that topic, I am Queen of the Heavens and of the Earth, Empress of Despair, Architect of Your Eternal Suffering, Olympia Bukakis. And I feel that I'm fundamentally already within that topic permanently, oozing gloop. 
<laughs> and what is this topic that you uh, that you permanently inhabit? <laughs> oh my god, failure! Failure. Oh, and this is uh, speaking of failure, and you're listening to our podcast. Slurry! Slurry. <laughs> <laughs> I know, slurry and failure are interchangeable there as well. And also yep. as well, you may have noticed a difference in sound quality because I have failed to get a microphone and we're using my phone. So I am sorry for for uh, uh, the failure to secure... For a... giving you a free podcast for months. Yeah, that's true, actually. <laughs> you fucking dogs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> any, any emails about complaints about sound quality? I don't... Oh, no, no. I, we've, we've got some helpful tips about sound quality, but no one's ever complained about slurry. But I guess more people would need to listen to it to <laughs> yeah. do, for that to happen. <laughs> I think I can imagine just like, also as well, like, it takes a certain mindset to author and send a complaint about something. Yeah. yeah. I think that, I, I think that, you know, you've got to feel fundamentally like it's going to go somewhere or do something. And I don't think after listening to this podcast, you would... You would have that. <laughs> I once sent a complaint about the customer service that I received on the phone to the dermatologist. <laughs> because he was gaslighting me. He was gaslighting me. He, like, so they told me that, like, I got an email the week. I made an appointment for two months' time. Because yeah. uh, in Berlin, that's how long it can take if you want to see, uh, like, a dermatologist that you know and like. And uh, so... And then I got an email confirmation the week before the appointment and it was for a different doctor. And so I called up and I was like, I made this appointment two months ago with a different doctor. So I I just want to know why I got this um, confirmation with a different doctor. And he said, well, you should have read the confirmation email um, uh, two months ago when you first made the appointment. And And then I was like, okay, I'll just check it now. And then I checked it and I was like, no, it was the confirmation email was with this doctor that I wanted to see. Yeah. Also, I find it a bit strange that you straight away said that, like, that I had made a mistake. And he was like, you need to calm down. And I, I, honestly, I was that, I was that calm. I was like, ich finde es ein bisschen komisch. I find it a little bit strange. Um, <laughs> and he was like, you need to calm down. And I was like, I am calm. And he's like, no, you need to calm down if I'm, <laughs> if I, like, because you, you, you're, you're being aggressive with me. I was like, but I'm not being aggressive. And I was like, I'm being gaslit. This is like, this is not, gaslighting. not in terms of like when you have like an unpleasant interaction and that's the closest word that you have to hand. So you just throw it at them. I was yeah. actually being gaslit because I was like, I'm not being angry at you. I'm not even angry. I just, I wanted to point out that it's weird. But he was also with the first thing to, setting up to gaslight me that he's like, this was already a mistake that you made. And it's like, and it was so crazy. And then I was like, and then he was like, he's that I like because he was raising his voice, telling me I needed to calm down. And I said, I think you're being quite unprofessional right now. And he said, No, you're being prof- uh, unprofessional. And I said, I'm not at work. <laughs> <laughs> you're being it's not my like, job. Yeah, I was like, being paid. Yeah, it was this Donald Trump school of like uh, defense, where it's just like throw the attack straight back in, in the face. And I was like. I was like, I'm not at work. And then I was like, listen, I want to speak to your manager. And then he was like, 
I, I am the manager. And I was like, I, I, I know that you are not the manager, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you are so loose. There is no way that you there are in no, charge of no. anyone. <laughs> but I, I, I asked for the manager at my dermatologist. And then I sent them an email because I was so upset. Because it was like, it was so weird. It was literally someone trying to gaslight me on the phone to the dermatologist. I'm, and I wasn't even upset. Escalating, so escalating, escalating the situation very rapidly. Yeah, he called me unprofessional. And it's like, I'm a fucking drag queen. I'm a tranny. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you, you do not want to see what my version of unprofessional is. Right? If you knew. Because I have done it, but it is a lot messier than this. <laughs> oh my God. Like, literally, he's turning up there, gurning, gurning on me. Like, I believe there's a matter of professionality to be settled here, sunshine. <laughs> yeah, it's like you you do not want you do not make me assume my ultimate form, okay? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you think this is unprofessional? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. It's also it's just very funny because it's just like it's yeah, it's also just that basically as well as that it's like, oh well you've made a mistake. It's like, well actually no, you've definitely made a mistake here. And then it's like this like obviously that shattered something for them. And I think he just really, I, it was his masculinity that was challenged. Um, and uh, like, it, he just went straight away to the defense mechanism that he had, um, <laughs> which was trying to make me doubt um, like my, my reality. And then um, just when that wasn't working, because um, I was staying calm, but also not like not giving him, yeah, like not giving in, then he just resorted to like, uh, like really reactive attacks. So anything that I would say, he'll just throw it back. And claiming to be, <laughs> claiming to be his, his own manager. <laughs> yeah. So I sent an email and I was like, I this 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 experience was so unpleasant that I'm so put off that the the possibility that I might speak to this person again that I'm leaving. I am just going to a different. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to a different dermatologist. <laughs> oh my god, that's so, like fuck. There's like, yeah. um, it's just. Do you know where the term gaslighting comes from? From the the film Gaslight, right? Yes. No, I didn't. Yeah, because for ages I was like, why the fuck is it called gaslighting? That is so confusing. Yeah, I I had a saying about gaslighting, which is gaslight is better than no light because without light, we're just stumbling around in the dark. <laughs> 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 no we're not <laughs> I was really proud of that one it was like my my favourite um, my favourite interjection because actually I think a lot of conversations when people talk like it's one it's become one of those buzzwords and you know like not to say that there's no worth in the concept because of course like gaslighting is a real thing yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah and, and no, it's, it's amazing. a very, very common like abusive uh, uh, technique uh, it's also su- a word that's like very, very 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 often misused and like used in this like bullshit clickbait journalism no, oh, but I, I was this it. great meme that was like, uh, remember, if someone disagrees with you, that's gaslighting and it's not okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so whenever someone would give, like, uh, present me with a really stupid, uh, like, uh, like, like, claim of gaslighting, then I would just respond, well, well, remember, gaslight is better than no light because without any light, we're just stumbling around in the dark. <laughs> I actually, I, no, I think, I think, gas, I think it's a very, uh, gas, I think, well, it's great that we're talking about failure and gaslighting because I think there's a really interesting, uh, thing here where, because gaslighting, what is, there's a point of contention here, which is the basic, the basically the point of contention here is the reality principle, 
what mm-hmm. is or is it like is or isn't the truth kind of thing and there's a great thing about because i did a some skim reading i failed to read the queer art of failure in preparation for this for this piece uh so it was very skim- meta it's very meta yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I also I have some I also have some other interesting, more meta reflections on failure, and stuff because it's I I really used this book to live my life for a while and uh, and it resulted in a lot of failure, um, <laughs> because of it. Or there's this thing I know it's just this sort of like and I think it's really funny with this just this obviously this really fragile man that you like encountered on the phone who then was like attempting to be you know he's very fragile but therefore. Uh, you know, you'd be like, I'm not fragile, I'm very robust and I'm very strong and all these things. And then basically as well as that, masculinity is something very fragile, like, you know, getting test, like getting testy, yeah. we like, to, uh, it's, it's, and it's something that has to be very aggressively policed and reinforced, which means that fundamentally masculinity fails to fulfill its own promise. Because, yeah. of, right, so it... Uh, that's it felt- the thing that's so annoying about it, right? Is that everyone else has to be so robust and stoic in order to deal with the fragile claims of strength of men. Yep. It's like a huge balloon uh, blowing up in a room that like pins you to a wall sometimes. And then you're like, eventually you just sort of move and you know, like one of the fucking gay spikes on your outfit just punctures it. By rote of the fact you just shifted slightly and this person has a gigantic meltdown and you're like, literally you were, you, you, you facilitated this. Yeah. Like, Uh, through these things, yeah. But I think what's interesting in gaslighting is that, well, um, there was a certain mark where certain uh, certain people I knew, who, um, there was a certain point with woke lang- with woke, quote unquote woke language, which like itself, um, uh, which I use as a terminology. I think that you know, like the the whole concept of wokeness has its own. There's, there's a a huge problematic within within that, but this very this oh with this like with the BuzzFeed woke, let's call it yeah. just like that. Let's yeah. call it this like BuzzFeed woke, which is like click or clickbait woke. Yeah, woke As bait to like woke bait, woke bait. Yeah, yeah, woke bait. So it's like basically, which is I would say woke bait is this this sort of like whatever you want to call woke terminology as uh, uh whatever you want to say that is but it's where, where it's not really kind of fulfilling the notion of say of genuine genuine accountable uh you know genuine accountable exploration and it's more about sort of kind and of like inquiry. basically well sorry and critical inquiry, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about yeah. getting clicks for advertising revenue. That's yeah. what it's about. It's not about addressing fundamental exploitation uh, mm. via, you know, it's it's about actually understanding that this terminology has attraction in a, in a market economy, in the, in the market of attention, and that it's seeking to capitalise on that. That's what I would call woke, woke bait, woke baiting. Yeah. There we go, bam, bam. And that basically that uh, uh, woke bait has, or, like, so, and I, I noticed this actually when people who, when I was studying my politics degree in like 2012, 2013, there were people I knew who had no interest in politics whatsoever. And around, 20, around 2013, just after the Miley Cyrus VMA's performance, or more mm. in 2014, I saw people who had no interest in politics start picking up the the terminology of woke bait and using yeah. it and these were people who his people whose company i enjoyed uh precisely because they were fucking idiots um, <laughs> and they were stupid selfish idiot bitches <laughs> and i was like 
and I was I was like doing all this like fucking post-structural shit and then they started using and I was like oh thank god I can like you know like simple pleasures are the last refuge of the complex etc yeah and then they started using woke bait language and I was like but you're a fucking terrible person yeah yeah and now you're using this this is the tipping point this is no longer this has ceased to be a radical sort of potential this is now you 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 are toxic you are selfish and you are manipulative and at least when you just were those things overtly it was easy but now you're like dressing it up yeah it had its like... charm what sorry it had its charm yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just like totally so i think that basically so one roundabout way is that i'm saying that gaslighting is great in this sense of being like you know like actually understanding a very complex psychological maneuver within uh an abusive relationship around this that around you know around the notion of this reality principle uh basically of just being like no you're being unprofessional where it's like this is completely not where it's like try to dispute that but then there is this whole kind of like woke bait thing where actually then where they're basically even gaslighting the concept of gaslighting itself (laughs) well i think when you bring up the reality principle i think that's really that's where it really hinges because the thing is very often um, <clears throat> when two people are in conflict, they're experiencing ha- having two different experiences of reality, mm. right? And so then when this is troubling, like uh, I w- like I was yeah, I was very very happy when I went through a breakup without um, resorting to uh, like uh, resorting to this idea to sort of make myself feel better about the conflict that I was having, having yeah. like having, you know, yeah. but it's like, it's very, very tempting for people that it's like, w- <clears throat> like we're both experiencing things very differently and it's very tempting to go. And this, this is happening because this other person is doing this to me. Yeah. Like, um, and I'm fundamentally and, right. Yeah. And I like, and I'm fundamentally right. And then therefore a victim of them creating this situation of conflict and like people do, like, I think people do resort to this. Um, but, the, like, the difference between a situation like that and a situation of, like, authentic gaslighting, gaslighting that's living its truth, um, yeah. is, uh, <laughs> is one in which a certain person intends to make another person doubt their reality. And that, I think, like, that, the- like that it's this intent that, like, that is the difference, right? Because one person can have a genuinely different experience of reality and then like assert that to another person. Um, But that's, but that's a different thing to knowing very well what the situation is and trying to make the other person feel like that situation is not actually real. Like in this situation of the guy turning the the gas gas, uh, gas lamps on and off to make this woman feel like she was going mad. Yeah, but I I feel that, so the, the problem is though, right, is in this argument you're having on the phone with this person, I think he believed himself, you know, like, I don't think he was intending that, you know, it's not like, I'm going to make this person doubt their reality. It's like, basically, is that he was caught out. And then like, I think because that's the problem people don't sit back, you know, is that the problem is, is with this, uh, with the categorical sort of like, with the categorical liberal harm principle sort of legislative carceral society we sort of have. There is an, um, I think Judith, but sort of, there is, there's this presumption that there is the liberal subject who sits back dispassionately from, uh, from their series of identifiers. 
but then understands that they these are attached to them as they're going through you know going through life you know it's like and then this is um and this is sort of like by we have this sort of very neutral uh, linguistic matrix and then we say where I am and then a series of identity signifiers in like a market-based objective economy like I then am a series of these things on there as opposed to we're not that we're we're, we're imbrications of multiple identities we're, we're complicated squashy things working on multiple axes at the same time with no authentic rational center like the one um however the idea that we all possess an authentic rational center is the basis of like uh western law yeah which is obviously things so we don't do it sit back from um so basically this dude this dude and many dudes in their reality are and reality in general has just reflected their opinions so much that we we don't think of those but basically they they aren't wrong you know and i say this as someone in the aa process who had to go through do like many inventories and stuff like that you know i was looking at things and i was like i was i was consistently the victim of things and uh all these other people were wrong and i had many different reasons for ways of how i could say that and stuff like that and then um uh but you know ego like to use this kind of truism like ego ego everybody's got one our ego there's something about our ego that puts us in a situation that for our survival tells us that we're right and that we're good and we're doing everything there is and that anyone who counters anything about what we're doing is a threat and has to be killed yeah yeah i i guess i i got a little bit lost at certain points but i think i understand what 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 you mean um yeah that was quite confusing (laughs) no no i think it was just complex um yeah um but so it's like it's not like like someone who's doing that who's gaslighting has a clear and calculated like understanding of the situation in the way that I uh, phrased that, but yeah. rather they experience themselves as being correct. But, and I think that that's true, but mm. <clears throat> in terms of uh, think like working out accountability, I think we need to make an assumption that someone is somewhere in between this total like relativism, like of reality and this uh, stable, solid, liberal, uh, like, uh, like a subject which uh, everyone is assumed to be under the law. Um, so like it's somewhere, some sort of like somewhere messily in the middle. But I think, for example, he experienced himself as being right in that he assumed that I had made a mistake uh, yeah. uh, about, about the thing. But then when I said, no, I haven't made a mistake. And then I said, also, I think it's strange that you assumed that and then told me that I was acting up. That was a decision because he could hear, he might've experienced that I was being too... Um, but I made it very clear to him and stayed quite calm, saying, I'm not getting angry. This mm. isn't what's happening right now. He, that, I think, crossed the threshold where he had made a choice uh, that he was going to stick to his guns. He might have felt like he was on the defensive, yeah. but a lot, of, a lot of abusers actually do feel like they're uh, on the defense, which is why they have stuff like the gay panic defense, where yeah. like, you can get less time in jail in certain jurisdictions for um, if a gay person comes onto you when you kill them. So like, or I think a lot of abusers feel themselves to be the victims. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's really... Then, I, yeah, yeah, this is... I, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, so like, not that this guy was an abuser. Yeah. <laughs> like, also, I asked to speak to his manager. So like, I'm certainly not in the situation where I uh, like where I come out of this looking very good. No, no, no. Uh, I think. We... But it's. I think it's. It's interesting to go into such a weird and trivial story to have like to try and work out like the moral complexities of it because I think in that situation both of us did fail. Really? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Well, yeah, because you failed to get your appointment. I did fail to... No, I actually went into the appointment, uh, but because uh, I, I needed to get something checked. Yeah. Um, but, so I did, but like I failed to actually act according to my principles because I asked to speak to someone's manager. Who the fuck do I think I am asking to speak to someone's manager? I'm a communist. Yeah, I know. No, I just... Yeah, it's like... But also at the same time, like like, like Lenin said, like they're going to sell us the rope we're going to hang them with. Yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. like to speak to the manager of capitalism, please. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that, um, but like, like communism with a K, because it's like a Karenism. Karenism, <laughs> like Karen, she's just gonna Karen go in there, she's gonna, and she's literally gonna like just get in there. Like, we're gonna get like a bunch of like fucking like left wing Karens who have like read mm-hmm. the shit out of all the collected works of Marx. Okay, and we're gonna tie Jeff Bezos to a chair, and they're yeah. gonna just go round. They're just gonna like just get him for like. Uh, hundreds of hours in a row like they're gonna sleep in shifts coming in and just being like what about this and what about that like, <laughs> yeah wear him did down you, did you, into nothing there was an like amazing it. tweet that went viral that it was like the year is 2026 Marie Kondo is standing in front of a screaming crowd holding Jeff Bezos by the scruff of his neck <laughs> and she and she screams out does this one spark joy and the crowd howls for blood and she snaps his neck with a twist and throws the body to the screaming crowd oh my god <laughs> it's so I would, good I'd want one of the ears an ear Jeff Bezos' ear Jeff Bezos' <laughs> ear and I'd be like listen bitch <laughs> yeah we need to have a chat <laughs> Yeah, we need to have a chat. You said, we need to speak to your manager. Yeah, no. I think this is this is a good this is a good time to just mention the title of this great big white whale of a book that I will always reference never read by Tara Schulman, which is conflict is not abuse. So fundamentally I'm... you had a conflict with this person. It wasn't really abuse. No, absolutely. Yeah, it was like it was very, very far from abuse. But it was very I guess that's why it was it's it's an interesting one to talk about because it was a It's tactic. also fun. It's also just yeah. fun. Like S- super fun. Yeah. Uh, but it was a tactic used in a situation that was so isolated that then it's possible to sort of like really go into it because we don't have actually <laughs> this guy don't have a relationship that God. Um and it's like it's like a microcosm. So yeah, it's exactly. very, I very much I think that's a really mm. important I think that's important and it's just sort of like I think it's like just being like um and I think it's like, uh, yeah, I think that's important. It's a microcosm. It's like a Petri dish. It's like this sort of like little thing. And it's just like, hey, that's silly. And there's, there's ways. And I think as well that we can, I think it's also saying as well that it's like the, there is, there is a value to the cultural, to the, ter- you know, there is a, there's a great value to the term gaslighting and to understand this metric and all of these things. But also as well that we have to understand with that as well, that basically through the, the, the market, like the market forms of like woke, like woke bait, um, we have like uh, I fucking pioneered woke bait talking about like this is great like I think it's I think it's a really really useful uh, term to describe this sort of like liberal junk media um, yeah and this is the problem is that um, a lot of people that we would like to reach particularly young people um, with <clears throat> who like r- like which is like 
I think a lot of young people are generating some really interesting ideas. So I don't, it's not as if, but like a lot I of mean, Team Vogue, really want... Team Vogue, Team yeah. Vogue, Team Vogue is going to be there covering Marie Kondo, feeding Jeff Bezos to the crowd of seagulls. Yeah. Yeah. Like, te- like Team Vogue is like, uh, like shockingly it's, good. It's an amazing. It's like it's. I think one of my favorite transitions. So, <laughs> yeah, so no, totally. Uh, like, <laughs> like, Team Vogue is going to lead think... the revolution, and they're going to look good doing it. But I think the the problem is that it reaches a lot of people who would be really receptive to really good ideas. And what it does is it takes genuinely uh, important concepts uh, and just uh, turns them into clickbait. So like workbait is a really, really good um, way of just like talking about this without um, uh, like tarring with the same brush because like work comes from this specific uh, process of getting workers in like Af- uh, African-Americans becoming more conscious of uh, the political situation in which they find themselves. And so if we talk, talk really broadly about like, a- like being anti-woke or whatever, it's like yet again, one of these things where like, like uh, it's dissing people who have actually also the same as identity politics, which is coined by uh, or like coined by um, uh, the Combahee River Collective. And mm. it's like, um, which is like a black lesbian socialist uh, organization in the uh, 70s and yeah. so then a term that actually had a lot of like thought and work that goes into it turns into this kind of like bullshit liberal politics and then uh, like the work of uh, the African-American people behind that uh, which was like actually quite solid work and quite sophisticated then gets tarred with the same brush so woke bait I think is a good way yeah. of doing that but I, I wanted to say um, I kind of love that you didn't read The Queer Art of Failure because I've read parts of it um, and mm. and it's cool, uh, but it's like if we're two queens doing a podcast on failure, it's exactly whatever I would expect us to talk about. I know, so I, no, I well, love that it's instead also, it's we talked about us. this douchey conversation that I had. It was already, it had no, I mean, this douchey conversation is far more interesting. Anyway, I have, um, it's quite interesting though because basically, that, um, it's also just in terms of this sort of like lots of the other things, right? I've been just been a bit sad about like being autistic recently, which is sort of periodically happens. It's just to do with like uh, it's to do with lots of emotions I had historically, and um, at the time I didn't allow myself to feel them, mm-hmm. and so uh, and now in this work that I'm doing with with Alcoholics Anonymous about unpacking. Uh, resentments and it's basically I'm, I'm just I'm just forced to feel these emotions actually and just to just to to make time and space for the fact that in that period there was I felt I, I literally earlier on this week for like a few days just like had like that physical sensation of just like sadness where you like just can't move your body like mm. and then today I felt sad I woke up and I was sad but I was like I'm sad but what am I going to do about it and I'm pretty optimistic for tomorrow and it's just it's just to do with the fact that actually along and it's you know from this from this position uh it's basically where I went and did the awful journey when I when I walked 100 miles and dragged for nine days you know like so I did great thing great things happened because of this you know and no one goes and does something like walks for a fucking all these miles outdoors and all this shit because they're, they're super happy and all these things but um but still then within it I was like oh wow I've done this amazing piece because of it I'd never never acknowledged that there were these core emotions of sadness just there 
And, you know, that then, of course, if I ever spoke about this with everybody, it's always like, oh, this, you know, congratulations, you've done a big art piece. That's really cool. And I'm like, yes, it is really cool. That is really great. You know, I don't have to feel bad about these things. And it was like, you know, like, yeah. And so, I, 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 I you know, it's great that I didn't. And of course, I don't have to feel it. But then basically, because it was sort of there, I was just drinking through it. So and then and then when I sort of saw it again recently, I was like, oh, my God. This is so deep and so long. I really wanted to, I basically wanted to go walk. I wanted to walk and drink red wine. That's all I wanted to do. And it's just like, and it's just, that's just something about, uh, that they talk about a lot in AA. You have to just experience your emotions <laughs> and you have to yeah. sit in them sometimes for days or weeks, you know, like, but then you pass and you mature because of it. So, uh, you know, overall it's a very healthy thing, but just in terms of thinking about this stuff, like, with the queer art failure and also like victim things and stuff like that. And then, you know, they're like, oh, things are bad because I'm autistic or meh, 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 meh. You can, I, you know, it can literally, I, you can sit round and talk to the cows come home about how like, this is a problem or that's a problem for being autistic, all these things or all this stuff. And I have done it. And in the process, the artistic process, institutional process forced me to do it earlier on this year and stuff. You can do it for fucking years and you won't get fucking anywhere and it will do nothing basically and that's the big takeaway from you know it's been useful to sort of like express certain things but overall i would describe the majority of it definitely is wasted time versus action what's like, wasted time what? talking about being a victim like and this sort of sense of <clears throat> things and then then using lots of woke fake terminology to sort of kind of like identify in various ways how i'm right everyone else is wrong and everything's happening to me kind of mm. thing and i think there's you know there's very important important places for that but um what's and this is sort of with the queer art of failure i did the i also did the awesome journey which is a, a a longer journey later where i walked from certain from from the place i was born to a place beyond my father basically to sort of kind of like escape this thing and i was going to walk but then actually i was like oh but why am i committing myself to this like very linear path where i have to do walk this thing why am i doing this this dick measuring contest have i walked so far or i walked this all these things and so and i was like and i was really inspired by the queer art of failure i was like well i'm not going to be able to succeed in doing these things i'm always going to fail so why does it matter if i um if i take a train if i take a, a shortcut here or a shortcut there all these things and that that was okay but then right right at the very end basically i didn't realize how close to the end i was but like i was basically like things were hard and it was really hard and i was just like oh i should just do this and all these things and i was like why am i trying to just do this straight narrow like form of success and then basically i was like all this narrative of failure and all these things and I was just like I'm gonna fucking do this because I said that I was gonna do this so now I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna do it for me and me alone and no one else exists within that time within that space with all these things I'm gonna do this for me and I stuck with what I was doing and then um and I didn't think that I would finish it that day I thought I would finish it that day I, th I thought I was much further away and it turned out the perspective uh, it was to the very end of england to land's end and it was actually from the it was a trick of the perspective that islands that were beyond the ends of the destination i was going made it look like it was further away and so mm. i i chose to to stick with it and i got this sense of achievement from doing that and that was so crucial and so amazing and so important and so i think there is an interesting aspect of the this is also 
so I'm rereading it. A lot of this stuff is very, it's, it's very entitlement to pessimistic and entitlement to be shit. And there's a huge problem with this, with queerness and with failure and with the exaltation of failure, actually, that whenever queer people try and build anything or do anything, it always just goes to shit. <laughs> and I'd like your perspective on that as one of the rare queer people who manages to actually organise doing stuff. Um, I, I wanted to just reflect back to you because what I, I, I heard something interesting in what you were saying, cause you were like, that you were like, uh, you didn't allow yourself to feel certain things at times when you were suffering. And then, so you allowed yourself to feel that and you felt like really bad and, mm. and like, and sad and, um, and like debilitating sadness. And then you've made the decision to sort of move on from that and mm. I actually think that every one of those stages is correct because I think what you described is a process um, yeah Ooh, so yeah. like it's like it's a because like as social animals right um if like it used to be the case and it still is the case that like rejection from a group can mean death um mm. so like uh if you are excluded from your community uh like it's very difficult for humans to survive by themselves. Um, and so we have very strong skills at staying in groups. And so this means that like if, if we experience abuse um, or violence um, uh, in our evolutionary background, it makes sense to try and make this work, right? And so um, one, I think I see, that's how I think about it. That yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that it's yeah, like, yeah. This happened to me. It's, it could very well continue happening to me. Uh, the, the, the quickest thing, I, like the, the most instinctive thing to do is to be like, how do I acclimatize to this? And I think about this, like when I was, um, you know, when I was a, a teenager at high school, that it was like, I just have to get through this. And so um, you do a bit of emotional violence to yourself where it's just like, okay, uh, I'm not going to feel this or I should be experiencing this. This is something that someone like me deserves or something like this. And so you have to deny the pain. And mm. then if you get to a place where you're more safe, often this is like having queer friends and stuff like that, then th there's this like process where you're like, this happened to me and it shouldn't have. And it all comes out. Um, and I've experienced this not just in terms of homophobia, but other forms of abuse. Um, and it's like, this happened to me, it shouldn't have. And I feel really hard done by because I was denying the fact that I was hard done by before. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then part of recovering from that, hopefully, is the idea that's like, that happened to me, it shouldn't have happened to me. Um, I am able to move on and like like integrate that into my life story. And yeah. so I think rather than any one of those stages being correct, I think that's just what recovery looks like. Um, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's super interesting. Because also just with that, when you have that, I feel hard done, I feel hard done by, because I never let myself feel hard done by when I was hard done by. Therefore, it's perfectly fine for everyone else to feel hard done by by any actions I might commit. <laughs> exactly. And this is like, this is like, uh, and like, you know, I, yeah, I've definitely gone through that phase with every trauma that I've recovered from. Mm -hmm. um, God, that makes it sound like there's a huge amount, but I, I, <laughs> <laughs> but like, 
Um, All three of them. Three's fucking enough. Like... Yeah, I was. I was thinking it's it's around about three. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but um, but like, um, no, like with the with the landlord situation, like like you know, three thousand houses is too much for any one landlord. Three hundred houses is too much for any one landlord. Thirty houses is too much yeah. for any one landlord. Three is okay in a certain very particular context. Yeah, <laughs> but so three's like, enough. Like I think Fuck we buddies. see. Testicles, tits, <laughs> nights out, meals in a day, days of the week that you're working. <laughs> three is enough. Three is enough. Do you want more than three? Do you really want yeah. more than three traumas? Oh, absolutely no, not. But, no. But, you know, after those three traumas, I've like, oh God, this with the, recovering from this attack in the last year, I'm like, oh, that it's just like, so... I've realized things can get and feel really, really bad before they become unbearable. And that's actually not like they can feel unbearable for a long time before they are unbearable. And that's actually not good news. No, that, no, no. Yeah. Cause it's like, I was like, I know that I'm going to get through this. And that's the worst part. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like it's like the like, orders of emotionality. Yeah. <laughs> I want to just say in terms of just just in terms of genuine if you want just like a mapping of like the collective consciousness and how how we have actually a sign of hope how we have evolved as a species is that our our, our TV uh, approach to clutter on TV has gone from hoarders to Marie Kondo so <laughs> yeah from this you live like this into this is how you could live a bit better in a sustainable sort of way. But yeah, no, it's like a hoarder's thing where it's like people who like have handprints on the ceiling from like walking over all the trash. Cause it's yeah. like, and which is just like, it's a, and when you want to be live when you, you especially you, want to be living in a clean room. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So I think- I can see... imagine doing some handprints on ceilings. Just one of the rooms, <laughs> just one. I, I think, think we see in like, in queer culture, the very strong imprint of people at various stages in this process. Um, and I think that's good, like, because, like, queer... I think queer communities are, like, very often communities in recovery. Um, yeah. Because, because... Or denied recovery, because I feel that recovery is a social process and that, actually, queer sociality is fundamentally... Uh, such a... Such a... Uh, a tr like, literally, like, a minefield. Like, uh... Of... Yeah, but I also think fucking up is a part of recovery. So it's like not not this like not an idealized version of recovery. Like as my therapist said, things take time. So like <laughs> like we see people at very like people who um are like at various stages in this process and not everyone goes through it to the point of being able to leave stuff behind, of course. Yeah. So like sometimes damage is just damage, which I, is a quote from I'm... Heather Love. It's also though the other thing is right is that basically within the queer community it's so focused around nightlife and all these things there's also this like form of acceptance and like self-love and like being free of shame free of guilt all these things which is like very 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 important kind of thing but also as well it's very easy having done it to use that to basically maintain to keep yourself uh in active alcoholism where it's like, mm. I experience these things, so of course it's hard, I like to blow off steam, I like to do this, like, I'm just being, like, getting really fucking drunk and, like, just, like, destroying your life and just being, like, oh, I feel shame, but it's like, you know, or, like, and then being, like, no, I'm going to love myself, we all make mistakes, like, and then I'm going to just do it again next weekend and every weekend. And oh, but I think that's a different process because that's denial, right? 
I so, mean, no, but what I mean is as well, though, is that then also is that you have to, there is a point where you take, it's very easy, like, I didn't have to go into AA when I went to AA, basically. Like, there was plenty of things that I could have around it, and there's plenty of, uh, also as well, like, there's plenty of queer spaces where uh, the way I was using or accessing substances wasn't even, like, you know, scratching the surface of the way that other people were using them. Yeah, but then... T- t- those spaces <laughs> like this is uh like it's it's a question of like uh population sample right <laughs> i know like, i know i know but what you, can, just like, say... you can walk into a budget walk into any number of rooms and be the most person uh, together person uh like this that's i think also how like um uh addiction and substance abuse very often works is because there's always someone who has a real problem yeah you know? Yeah. yeah, I think what I'm saying is that basically I think that there's just, uh, you know, basically just if we go, you know, if we just historically, if we go back to Esther Newton's study, the pioneering study on crossdressers in 1968 uh, called Mother Camp, you know, mm. she talked about these things and she like, she talked about the uh, stage performers who were like uh, long term drag queens who would uh they were like generally had that they generally had their own apartments they were middle-aged and alcoholic <laughs> it's a big thing with drag performers uh well i know drag queens i don't know if it's a thing with drag kings as well but with drag queens that um uh that in your 30s most people i think have to make a decision to either continue drinking or go sober um because in our jobs, there is just where a lot of, a lot of the time you're paid in alcohol. Like you have to make certain decisions. So, because I, I don't drink when I perform, um, like, and that was just a decision that I had to make. I'd like to be but paid I, in money. I wanted to, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like just um, pay, uh, I, I can be paid in money. If we paid in alcohol, my mm-hmm. money or alcohol. I'll take the problem with me getting paid in alcohol is as well though is that what the okay there is always always there has never like. There has never been a club night or a venue that I've gone to where they think the adequate amount of payment in booze matches up to what my belief of an adequate amount of booze is. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. always been less. That might be why you're in AA, babe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I... Uh, <laughs> that's, just, that's me just picking the low-hanging fruit. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, I also... Another, another kind of failure that I wanted to discuss... So, like, so yes, there's a, this is this queer embrace of failure. And I think that can be nice, but then it's also nice to try... I think also in terms of art, that it's, like, it's also nice to try and get stuff right. But I... Because yeah. I, I remember I, um, like... Because we can just actually assume that... Um, I... Uh, there, Andrew Champlin was a guy that I did ballet uh, lessons with. Mm. Um... And he said this interesting thing about failure, which is that like with ballet, that it's like you're always failing because it's this impossible standard that that, that the body is trained relentlessly to attain. Mm. Um, and it consistently involves failure. And he has a really interesting ballet practice because he like he embraces that. He's like, that's allowed to happen. But that doesn't mean that we're not trying that like that we're not trying to fail. And I think there's a difference between accepting and integrating the inevitability of failure in an artistic practice or a life um, and deliberately aiming for failure because one doesn't want to try. 
I th- I think this is it. I think that I've definitely done the second one quite a lot, like in like having but and my practice was better when I would focus doing it on the first. Yeah. More or it's like, I think that's I think that's it. I think the problem is right is that it's about it's about seeing failure like as a sequential thing, which is like so you there's this, you you have the spark. You have you have the spark of the idea, there's the execution, then there's the failure. And you know, like it's like this. You can't just say, well, it's gonna fail and everything's gonna fail anyway, so let's just fail from the outset kind of thing, and let's just be completely, you know, I, I uh illegible. This is sorry, I I made this gesture, but yeah. like just because I had an exciting idea. I think because what you said uh is true. Uh, not just of an art practice, but of uh, like political imagination. Uh, Because very often we have this idea, like we talked about this with hope, that it's like, that like in order to like engage in activism or, or like, you know, invest in a movement or or, or whatever, uh, or a campaign, that you need to have this like utopian idea that everything will be amazing tomorrow. Or you have this like, cynical like pessimism that leads to no action whatsoever because Mm. it's like everything is going to be fucked so what's the point in trying and like it's like this either or because the truth is that like um left projects fail more often than not Mm. um and i was listening to an um uh, a podcast it's called the dig it's part of the uh, it's like the the jacobin podcast you do and <laughs> and they uh have this they did them uh, one of their most recent episodes was called uh uh combat liberalism the liberal to ultra left pipeline and it's basically talking about um like this ultra left positions which is like a like a, a socialist term for people the bolsheviks use this for people to the left of them basically the yeah. um but it's people who are like burn it all down and like um <laughs> so you, you just looked around really I guilty was, I mean, well. um, <laughs> but like uh they said something in this it's like three different people one of them uh is femi taiwo who we spoke about uh, maybe in our last episode of the episode before the being in the room privilege uh person oh yeah yeah, yeah. Um, um so one of them is him he's just great um and uh two other like uh activists from the US and they're talking about how like um that uh like that fa- like very often like projects fail like the Bernie both Bernie campaigns failed right yeah um, but it's not irrelevant that uh the second one failed much better than the first one which is not to just say that like to blindly say like uh we're making uh like it, we'll get it next time but rather that um like the quality of a failure matters. And so aiming to fail would have, um, would have doomed to like an unproductive failure, but trying really hard and then learning from the, um, like the, 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 the successes and failures is mm. the only way to actually get there. And one of them quoted this thing from Rosa Luxemburg, which is really, really cool. Um, which I know by heart because I love this so much. It was the thing that she wrote. Uh, it was published the day before she died. Uh, and it's the, uh, this text called, uh, Ord- I, I know it in German, so I'm going to translate it badly, but it's like order reigns in Berlin. Okay. And it's after the Spartacist uprising has been put down 
uh, and just before Rosa Luxemburg is murdered by the Freikorps, um, uh, for corpse, I don't know how it's pronounced, um, the Social Democratic government colluded with right-wing, uh, uh, like, reactionary, proto-fascist militias to have Rosa Luxemburg uh, and Karl Liebknecht killed. And she said, um, the, fa- the, the leadership has failed. Uh, but the leadership can and must, from the masses and out of the masses, uh, made new again. Um, uh, the masses were up to the task. Oh my God, I should have got the English thing. I've literally tried, because I used this in a performance text. Um, yeah. They have made this failure uh, part of a, uh, like a link in the chain of successive failures that are the um, pride and the strength of uh, international socialism. So uh, mm. like, that, like this succession of failures um, are the pride and the strength of international socialism because we need to do these failures so that we can have eventually a win. And then she finishes the text um, with saying, you say now that order reigns in Berlin, but that is absolutely not true. The revolution tomorrow will rise from the grave and, and to your horror with great like fanfare announce, I was, I am, I will be. And it's, it's this... It's this incredibly beautiful text. I wish I had actually gotten a uh, proper English translation. Uh, so well, that dub, I it. dub it over, dub it over. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, and it's, it's much more beautiful in German. And, um, and it's a really, really good approach to failure, which is not to like embrace it in and of itself, but to say that it's part, like these failures, if we do them right, um, and if we respond to them correctly, can be part of a chain of failures that will be the, pr- the, the, the pride and the strength. This is the Stolz und der Kraft des internationalen Sozialismus. It's so good. <laughs> you should have just done it in German, like pause and then a little translation for me, but that's Stolz and der Kraft. Yes, yeah. okay, perfect. Ah, yeah. that's wonderful, yeah. It's also, um, I have Margaret Atwood in her writing masterclass. It's really funny. She just says, like, she says something as well. She says, like, you're going to write something, it's going to, um, you know, even if it fails, like you just got to go do it again, fail better, fail faster, fail like you know with these things, like fail, like do it and just fail better, like yeah. just I like I think that I actually really like this rather than maybe failure. I like the yeah I like this mantra fail better, yeah just like and yeah, that absolutely well also like um like uh, I did underline some very interesting parts of the queer art of failure, which is just that uh, Jose M- Muniz who's done loads of stuff about He's failure. Cool. Oh, sorry. He's cool. Yeah. I'm, I find him a bit, I'm a bit ambivalent about him. Like, I feel like I should like him a lot more than I necessarily do. I feel that way about visual art. <laughs> <laughs> the entire genre, I think. Yeah. Like, I should I will, like I this always... more than I do. <laughs> I don't like, it's like, it's like this working class, like rural Australian thing where it's just like, Oh, uh, it, it's not. I don't know. This is boring. Yeah. <laughs> like it would be much cooler if this was a movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, See, sorry. for me, it's quite interesting because we've talked obviously a lot. I've I've whined a lot to you about various things. Um, but like I feel personally more attached to 
uh, specifically the job, the, the you know, the craft of it's just, like, having a, a performance artist be a job kind of thing or something you actually do for work kind of thing. I actually feel more attached to visual art I make than performance art I make. And so, whereas, like, I think I'm quite used to not, like, being able to, like, uh, have something about my reality, like, perceived correctly or these sorts. You know what I mean? Like, so... I just think you're a commodity fetishist. I am. I fucking am. <laughs> oh, my God. Literally, I just want to get whipped. Buy the commodity. I want like a big fucking sexy camp, like Andy Warhol Campbell's tin of soup, right? With like some sexy legs poking out the bottom, and like, and Jeff Bezos. It's actually Jeff Bezos wearing an Andy Warhol soup can, and like some suspenders and some sexy heels, like whipping me, and then whipping me, whipping me, whipping me, and then just leans over and whispers in my ear, "Do you feel fulfilled?" <laughs> Oh my god, that is the most disgusting fetish I've ever heard in my life. Okay. And I've got like a gag on, and it's on on it is the Amazon smile on the gag. <laughs> <laughs> like that's oh it. I'm a that's slut for things. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, objects. Oh. <laughs> So what what was in this thing that like the Jose Esteban? Oh yeah, Jose Esteban. Uh, he uh, da, 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 da. oh he puts failure in terms of a utopian rejection of pragmatism, and also an equally utopian sort of queer failure is an equally utopian refusal of social norms on the other as well which is and I was thinking it's quite interesting as well like there's something what the kind of interesting thing about uh I think there's something relates to the utopian nature of drag within this which is like when people are doing things it's like or you're you're doing something or you or like the way that queer people pull looks and stuff like that like the and we see things that are we see citizens and subjects that are intrinsically unsustainable but the fact that they're there and they're living and existing somehow feels like almost utopian because it's like saying I am alive and I do exist now we all know for a fact that the makeup will come off or this will happen or that will happen kind of thing but for one moment this does live and it is it is the suggestion so even in the the failure is a utopian moment as well kind of thing. And also actually as well, I think this is interesting because utopia is such a dirty word, but if we were to actually, I think, use, I think uh, that you, I feel that like utopia and failure should always be seen as the two together as well, which is that a utopian point will always fail, but it's actually the point that we get to within that because it's just like, because also... And the left is, is, oh, you're being utopian. It's just like, well, I, should we actually should say, yes, we are being utopian. But like, it, because we have an ideal, but also we don't expect to, we're not going to impose it in that sense. You know, it's like, um, uh, because uh, the thing is, right, is that the Brexit campaign was in essence utopian. You know, it was just like a series of promises that could never be fulfilled, like wildly unrealistic promises that were never fulfilled, that has come to constitute a political actuality. And the fact that that political actuality looks nothing like what the campaign is neither here nor there. It's still happening and it's still the reality. So it's like, so the right is consistently using utopia. And the idea that capitalism can just carry on is also utopian as well. We all know it's failing and it's going to fail. But in terms of the left, what's really interesting is they say here uh, in, in The Queer Art of Failure, uh, for Gramsci, ideology uh, has as much to do with error or failure as with perfect predictability. Therefore, a radical political response would have to deploy an improvisational mode to keep pace with the constantly shifting relations between dominant and, subor uh, dominant and subordinate within the chaotic flow of political life. 
And then Gramsci views the intellectual function as a mode of self-awareness and applied knowledge of the structures that constrain meanings to the demands of class-bound understanding of common sense. So that we basically, that within any kind of like move, uh, hegemonic movement with working class intellectual, or Gramsci and hegemonic movement that would require certain working class uh, intellectuals or things, there would have to be an understanding that the ideology of that is going to fail at some point and then there needs to be some sort of improvisational mode within which then we can say, well, you know, look, there's this gap here, but there's this thing here and this thing there, and so we can act in this way kind of thing. And so, which is quite funny because like leftists get accused, it's also very funny that leftists are both accused of being non-regimented and also overly uh, overly hegemonic or overly totalitarian, you know. It's like, mm. oh, so you all want to do it in this like USSR way at the same time as, well, these leftists are doing this, so why aren't you doing that kind of thing? Mm. Whereas like, monolithic, that's the mm. word I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, well, that process also sounds like what the Bolsheviks were doing in 1918. Uh, yeah. In 1917. Oh my God. <laughs> I know, sometime around then. <laughs> um, uh, like, if you look at, like, Lenin was releasing new pamphlets, like, every couple of days and, like, telling people to change course and, like, all of this sort of stuff. Like, they were very much improvising. Wait, um, wait, 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 Olympia. <laughs> when I just came up with a new joke. Yeah, when was the Princess very... Anastasia shot? When? Yeah. Wait, when was it? When was the Princess Anastasia shot? That was 1918, I think. No, yeah. not soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible. Oh, you're gonna censor this one out too. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, as it like, look, okay. I mean, it's a historical reference. It's hardly a, a more contemporary one that I won't say. So you don't have to edit that. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like, I think, um, like, what a lot, I, I haven't read this book, I've read sections of this book, but what I, I think a lot of this queer art of failure also relies on something like camp, because camp is, camp is an integration and an enjoyment of failure, and I think that a lot of the failure of drag has to do uh, with this camp sensibility, that like, we always fail because we want to be a beautiful woman, and then at some point, we take off the makeup and we are not a beautiful woman, you know? Yeah, no, and, no. And it's like, and it was like, uh, like that, that it, it failed to sustain itself. And, um, and that there is something that's really brilliant and productive about this, uh, about, uh, about this process. And, you know, you talked about, you know, the best drag is at its best when you go, you know, in down, yeah. like you go into this, like this cellar somewhere and there's like, you know, a 60 year old, like bald man in a wig, who believes that he has done a summer and like and it makes you believe it. Yeah, and you both believe it and you all believe it. And then and then both of you become very uncomfortable if like um you get a glimpse backstage and, and he's totally like not no longer this this vision or something, you know. And so like um drag um like really thrives mm. on this uh failure. And I think a lot of this um uh, like, because when we were talking about like doing an episode on failure, I remembered in my first semester presentation at uni, uh, which was Gender Euphoria, the show that we ended up doing together. Um, they, uh, they like, I got a really good mark, very good, uh, very good response. And but one of the, the one of the compliments was like, 
it was amazing because it was like a series of actions that you were failing at but there was something about this failure that was really compelling and I was like I thought I was doing the actions <laughs> properly and I was like oh my god I thought I knew what I was doing yeah. and I didn't say that I was like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I was like also I didn't know what I was doing because I I, and, and I think part of being a, a good drag queen can yeah. be like just instinctively being good or, or instinctively failing in the right ways without necessarily knowing that that's what you're doing. This is precisely what it is, right? So like basically when I first started doing drag, this is what I told, I never told anyone this. And then eventually I did. And someone, my friend was like, wait, hang on a minute. And then they looked back through the photos and they got the, they pulled up the photos of this period and they thought, that's what you were going for. Like, I was like, yeah, I, I was like, I used to want to look like a green Kim Kardashian at the beginning or something. Like <laughs> this like really highly contoured, like, but like in green. And they were like, hang on a minute. They look back and I'm like the biggest fucking bogey in the entire world <laughs> ever. And basically what used to happen, what it was is that, and also when I did the residency at Get Fucked as well, is that I basically, started, like eventually I sort of kind of came close to perfecting this, but like each time I came, like I basically at the beginning or like generally came with like a really clear, coherent idea. Set about doing that. Completely lost failed, was not prepared, lost my way in the moment, was like, right, well, actually, I have to be doing this in this way at this time, like, which means there's 40, right now I have 40 minutes and these tools that are right in front of me to push this over the edge into a lock. What are we going to do? And then I did that, went out and people were like, wow, this is amazing. And it's like, thank God you had no idea what my intention was, because if you did you would know, like, the huge gap between these things. But, yeah. like, that space really is, you know, that re- that space is, like, it, sort of like the Uncanny Valley or something like that. I don't know. Like, that space yeah. is a space where where I think... It's like a space of interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's just... I think it's something... As I develop, like, my practice that's something that I consciously work on. So it's like, how can I integrate ways that I know that I will, like I integrate things that I won't succeed at, but not just because I'm not trying. Like I think to fail properly in my practice now, I need to really be trying not to. Um, yeah. And then like, and it becomes like a series of choreographed failures. I would actually say that a lot of my practice is that um, a series of um, like very, what's the word? Um, uh, What's the word for like trying hard and being precise? <laughs> this is me failing right now. Um, Wait, trying like, hard and being precise and accurate? Yeah, it's like, um, as it, let's say a series of precisely choreographed failures. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, is what, how, like, I, I think it's a very productive way of thinking about my work. And that's not, to, that's like, I'm always trying to do a good job. Um, you never try to fail because trying to fail isn't failing because you're succeeding. Oh my god, I'm yeah. a genius! Whoa! <laughs> Shots fired! <laughs> trying to fail isn't failure because you're succeeding. You fucking loser! Yeah, yeah, and and you can see when someone's pretending to fail on stage, it just it doesn't look good. Well, it is interesting as well because also, yeah, when it's true, actually, yeah, pretending to fail, it's like, it's got to be like, it's what, because what it is right as well is that 
uh, I love, I like to, based on two, two wonderful artists who uh, inspired me, I like to make the distinction between cabaret and performance art. And that basically as well that like, and this is useful for a distinction between like the ego and the self as well kind of thing and the cabaret fundamentally works within the realm of the ego and it's sort of kind of about someone saying i'm going to do this thing in this way which is a way that we know how this is done basically to kind of engage your ego within this so that you also get to do these things as well like i want to gauge your reaction I want, and this i want to make you laugh like and so that uh, like I want to make you laugh or this sort of thing or, or, or these sorts of things as well. And so then also that's why a lot of like cabaret is very hand fisted, whereas someone being like, oh, I'm going to try and do this thing three times. I'm going to fail the first two and I'm going to succeed on the third. And then you've got this like very like, and it's like quite boring. But like, whereas performance art like uh, is sort of like a space, often as a, more, a less normative space, like a space where you can like really explore things. And then the, what it is is that by trying very sincerely to do something that is fundamentally impossible, there is this failure or this slippage. And that's where you actually allow the self to slip out Mm -hmm. as well. Because the thing is that actually like, you know, like a cabaret act where you're pretending to fail or these sorts of things is then kind of ensuring you don't actually have a vulnerable moment. Yeah. Whereas actually within genuine failure, we are vulnerable and that's something that's uncomfortable, but it's also something that's very beautiful. Uh, and audiences just fucking love it. They fucking audiences love, it. love seeing you fail and being okay with that. Like they just they because I feel like it's such a good trick because they're just like, oh my god, I just it's like seeing someone's asshole. It's like thank you. It's like oh my god, you just showed me the most vulnerable part of you. And so and, and then people say like, oh my god, that was such a, like often when I'm moderating, and it's like. Yeah, but I guess I show my asshole to a lot of people. Yeah, well, I, like, yeah. So this is this is why like you don't have to be queer to do performance art because it helps. Like doing yeah. queer performance <laughs> art in the straight world. Like, oh yeah, I just saw your ass. I was like, babes, I send whole pics. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally photograph this and send this to strangers on like on my phone, knowing full well that my data is completely compromised by Apple, WhatsApp, like one day, like the like the FBI looking at this right now. Like, enjoy that, fuckers. <laughs> that I think is the perfect place. <laughs> Uh, to to leave uh, this episode of Faye. It's been so nice to do this with you after a month. Oh, uh, it's been lovely to do this with you too after a month as well, Limpy. Oh my gosh. And thank you for joining us again, uh, uh, dear listeners. This is We're recording this on May Day, so that's our failure for taking this very important day uh, and working on it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, Fuckers. But, uh, uh, That's on hope- you. I didn't know what day it was. <laughs> <laughs> of course it's on me. Um, and uh, so, dear listeners, we hope that you had uh, an enjoyable and, uh, like, camphorish May Day. And uh, we will be back in a month. If you have enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it uh, with your friends. And if you would like to help us pay to host this uh, uh, this podcast, which we offer for free, then the PayPal link is uh, in the description. Oh yeah, we're and asking for donations now. Give us your fucking money. Yeah, and uh, please, so, and we will be back uh, with an episode on the first Monday of next month. But uh, we hope that you um, 
Send us nudes. Yeah, send us nudes, definitely, and donations. No, but also, we fundamentally we need you more than we need your money, and we love it when you put us in your in, in your Instagram story and yes. tag us. We really yes. like that. It makes us happy. We send screenshots of it back and forth, and also we often reply as well because I well I do because I have nothing better to do. But yes. yeah. But anyway, and, please. And yes, if you want news. to have a more long form interaction with us, you can email us at slurryspeaks at gmail dot com. Uh, yeah, so the whole pick. it was a pleasure doing with this uh, this with you, Gloop, and uh, I'll talk to you again next month, and not before that. Yeah, no, not before that. Well, to be honest, when we're doing it weekly, I was getting a bit sick of you, so actually. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. Well, bye. Juicy. Bye.